You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves if we let them. For this episode, I spoke to Jackie Morris. Jackie is an author and illustrator. She studied illustration at Hereford College of Art and Bath Academy and has illustrated and written many books. The Lost Words, co-authored with Robert McFarlane, won the Kate Greenaway Medal in 2019, and she was nominated again for The Unwinding in 2021. Her little accordion books, Fox and Otter, are absolutely delightful and are out now with Unbound. When we spoke... Jackie and I discuss what might have happened if she'd learned to play the violin as a teenager and used those skills to busk as a traveling storyteller across Spain, Africa, Mongolia, and beyond. Along the way, we discussed what it takes to become an artist, the joys and perils of traveling alone, and how learning languages is a lot like inhabiting other lives. Jackie also encountered a lot of fabulous wildlife and learned to ride a motorcycle. Hi, Jackie. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Good day. It's raining, but you know. Everywhere, everywhere and always. Well, I'm so pleased that you've joined me today on My Unlived Life. Um, and I'm really looking forward to your path, which I think I am hoping is going to take us to some interesting places. And I think it it might, t- well, we'll find out if it takes us away from your art and you being an artist. But before we do that, I wanted to talk about your art and specifically these recent books that you've done with Unbound, these beautiful accordion books, Fox and Otter. And I just love what it says on the back. An accordion book doesn't open, it unfolds. And it makes me think of an unlived life in a way, in the way that it kind of goes one step after another after another. And I wondered if you just wanted to say a bit before we get started about these lovely, lovely, beautiful books. Yeah, they're very small. The idea being that if you wanted to, you could carry them in your pocket like a small prayer book. And then on the one side, they have images. On the other side, they have words. And the fox in particular, the foxes are painted with a very old set of paints that I have that are about 200 years old. They're from the really early days of paint making when um, I think it was Reeves were some of the first color men to do this. They made watercolor blocks. So instead of an artist having to, when they're starting their work, they're mixing their own art uh, paints from pigment, you could buy watercolour cakes um, in sets. They they come in the most beautiful mahogany boxes um, with little water jars. This is one of the little water jars, and they're hand-blown, mouth-blown glass. Um, You know, it's 200 years old. I haven't got much glass in my house that is 200 years old, I can tell you, because I have cats. 
So the, this pigments, which um, I guess people must have had them as presents and not used them, and they've just lined sleeping for 200 years, and you can wake them up with a little drop of water and turn them into foxes. And, um, yeah, so it's there's lots of stories in such a tiny book, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, the otters are done with the blue ink that were um, because most of the boxes come with the ink sticks as well with the ink you have to grind it um, on an ink stone add water and turn it into pigment and most of the boxes have got ink sticks and so again that's 200 years old probably made in china and it this one just happened to be blue beautiful so stunning yeah. but just imagine the... that was asleep for 200 years it's just it's yeah, I love I love thinking about the other artists' hands who've held these tools. Um, they come with brushes. Sometimes there are dip pens, and you know that maybe they've written, maybe they've drawn. Just I, uh, it's a fascination for me in pre-owned art materials, mm. and they are so much more beautiful than what we make now. There was such a pride put into even making a ceramic palette. There's, there's, um, yeah, beauty, just beauty in a box. I love that language of that they've been asleep for 200 years and now you've yeah. just woken them up. The other thing is they're very heavy. Um, they're full of all the toxic um, ah. chemicals. <laughs> there's a lot of chemistry in paints as well. And this, this is the day when, you know, people used to die of lead poisoning from being painters, from sucking your brushes. And I have to be really careful when I'm using them. Um, some of them, I guess, you shouldn't handle with your fingers without gloves. And somebody once said to me that I shouldn't be using them at all because they're very expensive, these antique sets of paints. But I said, if I add some water to them, I can make them more expensive and also <laughs> rarer. Use them up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it seems a shame not to use them up as long as you don't, you know, poison yourself in the process. Yeah. That feels important. Yeah, not using them, I think, is like clipping a bird's wings so it can't fly or putting it in a cage. And obviously your relationship to paint and materials is born out of a lifetime of of art, but we yeah. are going to go back to a point where you possibly could have done something else. Although, mm -hmm. I mean, it's very clear you loved art and paint and drawing from the time that you were very young. Yeah. So actually, when you asked me to think about this, I was thinking, I was very blinkered as a child. So from the age of six, I wanted to be an artist. So many people told me that I couldn't be an artist, but I kept that focus and it felt when I first thought about it that there was nothing else other than I did want to be a bear and whilst many people told me that I couldn't be an artist nobody told me that I couldn't be a bear which now seems odd. So do you want to say um, to give a little context for we're going to talk about your path which starts when you're 16. Um, do you want to say a little bit about where you were at the time uh, what you were up to what you were thinking yeah. about? I was, uh, I was 16. I was very naive, uh, very sheltered. My father was a policeman and my family used to keep us very uh, close, um, I guess, because he was aware of all the bad things that could happen. Um, uh. 
I had only recently taken to reading because I, I quite I struggled to learn to read, um, which I realized when I was 44 was because I am dyslexic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the words move all over the page. And I just thought that happened for everybody. Ah. But um, so it was a, I was slow coming to reading, but I used to go to the library to get books. Uh, we didn't have any books in the house at all. And I grew up in Evesham. By the time I was 16, we'd moved to Broadway, a little village in the Cotswolds. And I picked up, or I think it was through school, actually. I think we had to read um, Cider with Rosie at school by Laurie Lee. And it was set in the Cotswolds, and it was like reading about home for the first time. Um, and then I read as I walked out one midsummer morning. And as a 16-year-old who felt quite trapped in the house but wanted to leave home, wanted to be an artist, I, I followed his journey as he walked out of his house one day with a violin strapped on his back, <laughs> no money, and I really wished that instead of learning to paint, I'd learned the violin. Okay. And so that is what we are going to talk about. And 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 the way you described it to me was you wish you'd learned the violin and that that feels for you connected to also going off into the world, sort of also leaving and traveling and doing all yeah, sorts of things. Yeah, it was the journey. It was how his violin um, paid his way around the uh, world. I didn't realize at the time, you know, I could have done that with painting because you can busk and paint. Um, but it, it's very blinkered, I suppose. And I, we hadn't traveled. I hadn't been places. But I've had a fascination all of my life for that walking away, walking out of it, walking into something, just leaving everything behind, just taking, like, one bag and just going. Um, it's it seems like a kind of bliss to leave just leave everything everything and everyone is that dreadful i th i think it's i would think it's more common than one thinks and i guess you know he was leaving a big family and um and he, he had the, a similar kind of upbringing i suppose um being in a valley in the cotswolds and very closed in and um, but it it's partly his movement as well. It's the walking. It's not getting on a bus, getting in a car. It's the walking in order to um, travel and move. Mm. That's um, I used to walk a lot um, when I was sixteen. I'd, I'd kind of roam over the hills around uh, Broadway, pretending that I was Kathy um, and. Heathcliff was out there somewhere. Actually, I was probably Heathcliff, let's face it. But then I always went home. I didn't carry on walking. And it's it's that thing. My friend um, who I was at school with from when I was six, she learned piano. She played piano and she played violin. And it used to fascinate me because I don't really have a musical bone in my body, you know. Mm. But it used to fascinate me. She played piano like I painted and she wanted to be a concert pianist, and that was uh, 
So watching somebody else work their craft from a young age, it's amazing. It's interesting to think about developing talent at that young of an age and yeah. with that sort of precision. Um, and in a way that sounds like for you, it sounds like it was entirely self-motivated as opposed to sort of some sort of tiger parenting or anything yeah. like that. And it, it is very much this, the, the thing that people don't understand is, is it's not so much talent. If you, you have an interest in something and you just want to do it and then you work and work and work at it and it's that hard work. You know, I've been painting for, I've probably only been painting for about 30 years, but I've been drawing and making images for, it would be about, um, I think, since I could hold a crayon. Um, so I'm 62 now. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of years of practice. Um, you would hope I would be quite good at it by now, but I'm still learning all the time. And it's that, um, you know, I knew that I couldn't just pick up a violin and I'd be able to make a living. Probably people would pay me to go away. I mean, hey, money is money at that point, right? Okay, so let's figure out how we're going to shift your course a little bit. Because either what we're saying is instead of going to study art properly mm. once you're after 16, it's either that you divert and you learn the violin and you take mm. your violin on the road mm. or you stick with your art but you use that to travel with yeah. you're a busking artist yeah what feels what feels right um I don't know um I mean there are times when I would like to uh shed the pencils and the brushes as well. You know, people, I guess people look at the finished work and they see something that looks easy. Um, and it's been hard work for years and years and years. I guess the main thing is the movement because um, I have been very sedentary in order to paint. I, I moved to Pembrokeshire 30 years ago, um, bought a house, this house that I live in now, and I haven't really traveled much in my life or had a desire to. Mm. Um, and yet there's still that, um, there's still been that nagging, um, just walk, just walk away, especially when my kids were small. Mm. Just, <laughs> just walk out the house. Unsurprising. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say I would imagine that most young mothers definitely have that yeah. feeling. I'm yeah. just gonna just gonna go now. I'm you just, guys can fend for yourselves. I'm just popping out to the shops, loves. <laughs> I won't be a minute. <laughs> what feels what feels feasible? I mean, could you have learned enough violin to to get you going? If I'd put the same kind of application into it. Um, maybe it would have been fine. You know, my my family, uh, they didn't have enough money to pay for music lessons. And um, mm. there were times at school when I picked up instruments, tried to play the guitar, and I tried to learn it, but without lessons, without the structure, it's very hard to progress on your own, I think, unless you have a real aptitude for it. And I did not. Mm. I did not. Mm. I have an aptitude for rhythm in writing, but I don't have one for uh, music. 
What if we do it this way? When did you go to university? You were 18, but then you changed. I mean, I was desperate to leave school. I hated school, but I realized that I had to stay for another two years, get the A-level results. And then I went to art college because um, there were colleges then as well yeah. as universities. Ah. Um, it was a different structure. I also had the absolute um, privilege of having a grant so that I could go to college. I think this is something that um, very few people understand. When you come from a working class background, you do not want to take on debt. You do not want to take on a loan that um, will sit on you like a toad on your shoulder for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, and my parents didn't want me to go to college. They didn't top up my grants to... Um, what it should have been so I had to work in the holidays but well, that was fine you know that's not a problem um so I was yeah 18 I went to Hereford Art College um full of um full of hopes and dreams and struggled my way through really why was it a struggle it, was, it wasn't very good really um and then I went to Bath Academy um, to do a degree and mostly I just drew for three years and came out of it not really knowing what I was doing um, but you know just a, just a desperate desire to to illustrate I wanted to be an illustrator I'd seen um, something on television when I was about 16 I think uh, a woman called Nicola Bailey who had just illustrated a book called The Tiger Voyage and I'd had so many people telling me that I couldn't be an artist you know it wasn't for people like me um, my headmaster actually said that women only went to art college to get a husband yeah. and you couldn't make a living as an artist and I said that was really a stupid place to find a husband then if you wanted to be an artist because you didn't want somebody that you would have to support in their career very, very valid. What did he think about the possibility of being a bear? Did we talk about that? Uh, no, about? he didn't. I didn't tell him that, you know. He, <laughs> he, he thought I was bonkers anyway, so uh, I, I didn't introduce the bear into the situation. I just channeled my inner bear. And, uh, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I normally like to do things that feel within the realm of the possible, but I guess what I'm wondering is if we shouldn't just get a little magical thinking-y and decide that you are able to brilliant learn and vi learn the violin. Look, yeah, look at listeners. She's playing. She's playing air violin gorgeously now. Yeah, I think do we that. should say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. You're done. That's all you <laughs> yeah. need. You're, it's it's done. Let's do. Why don't we do that? So you're 16. Yeah, you decide you need a you. You're watching your friend who's who's training to be a musician. You're you've you've read you've read the book. You've yeah. been inspired, yeah. and you kind of down tools with the yeah. art, and you pick up a violin and um, you yeah. walk out of my life, and you walk out of your life. Yeah. Let's say, why don't we give you like a year or so to practice before yeah. you walk out of your life? Does that sound and good? And I would have practiced day and night and, you know, all the time. And I would have taken it outside and I'd gone up the hills with it and sat in the woods with it and just played until the birds came with their little claws over their ears telling me to go away. But <laughs> um, actually, I would probably have woven birdsong 
around it. Um, mm. I loved being outside. I just absolutely loved it. And it's such beautiful country around Broadway, rolling hills and hares in the fields and deer and, yeah, buzzards. So I think pack my little bag. Okay. A couple of pairs of jeans and some sandwiches, nice coat, probably really inappropriate clothing for traveling. Mm. Um, wrong footwear. Wrong footwear, yeah. Dr. Martin's probably. That's all right. That'll do you for a bit. Yeah, for a bit. <laughs> say say goodbye. I think I'd say goodbye. My parents would have been so cross. Sure. Because um, they wouldn't want me to do it and then just go. Okay. Where do you go? Um, I I think having read the book, I'd go to Spain. Oh. Um, to begin with. Yeah. So I'd walk to, where do I go from a port? You can go, I mean, there were more ferries then. So. Um, what year are we in, by the way? Sorry. Uh, oh, hang on. I was born in 1961. Okay. Uh, so we're so saying you're sort of 17, 17 18 now? Yep. Yeah. 17, naive, home child, okay. never been anywhere. In the in the late 70s. Never so. went abroad when we were kids. None? Uh, none at all? No trips abroad at all. We had okay. family holidays in Devon. So I guess I'd head for the south coast and get um, on ferry. Maybe there was somewhere in Cornwall that would go across to Spain. So we, we get you... We get you out of out of England on a ferry yeah. over yeah. to Spain. Um, do you have any money at this point? Or are you literally busking? Um, I would have a little bit of money because I had part time job in Broadway. Okay. But um, by a little bit, it's probably about a hundred quid, um, okay. which I guess all those years ago was quite a lot of money. Um, and where am I sleeping? Mm. I think it's got to be summer so I can like sleep in a woodland or something with a with a, a little blanket of leaves like a bear. <laughs> We're turning you into a bear in your own life. That's great. If you become a bear, I've got to go. For, I've just realized actually what Laurie Lee did when he stopped walking. I can't remember. I don't remember. He wrote about it. Oh. <laughs> so he became a writer. <laughs> You're not done walking yet, though. Yeah. Thing. So that's okay. So we're you're somewhere on the on the east coast of or no, sorry, the west coast of Spain, probably. Yeah. I'd probably go down the sea. I'd probably stick to the coast. Mm. Go down the sea. Okay. I'd head for the Alhambra Palace. Except okay. I don't think I knew about it then, but that's where I want to go. Okay. And um, the other place that I really wanted to go, so I've got to walk a long way, mm. is Madagascar. Like, yes, that is. <laughs> Got to walk a long way. It's going to be a long walk. Let's start you in Spain and see if we can yeah. get you to Madagascar. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're 17. You, you're you off the ferry. You've gone to the Alhambra Palace. I don't know where that is. Because yes. um, uh, you maybe you heard about it. Somebody was talking yeah. about it on the ferry. So you've gone there. Walked a long way, playing my violin. And people playing your paid violin. me money. Amazing. And, and and I've done washing up in restaurants and things okay. like that so that so that people would feed me. Great. Hopefully, oh, you're so resourceful. Yes. Well, that's uh, it's another one, isn't it? You can work your way around. Um, and also, um, I think there's a there's a thing that the odd bits of traveling that I've done 
if you travel on your own, then people talk to you. Um, or maybe if you travel on your own, you talk to people. It's the avoiding the dodgy situations. That's always the the traveling as a young woman bit is the yeah. that's the challenge, isn't it? Hopefully, you don't encounter any dodgy situations. So let's see. So what I think I would probably do because I would get a bit foot sore. Um, there are two modes of transport that I wouldn't mind. One would be horseback. Um, do do it slow on a horse. So I'd have to play for quite a lot to buy the horse, and then, but then. So it's, is it a horse or motorbike? I did learn, I started learning how to ride a motorbike because this is in my 20s, because I then decided that I wanted to motorbike down the coast of Africa. So there's always been this kind of footloose idiot in the back of my head <laughs> trying to pull me away from my desk. Why did you not, why did you not in your 20s? Go motorbike down the coast of Africa. Um, well, I'd ridden a motor. I'd, I'd done my part one of my test, and um, I was going to do a, a, a maintenance course as well, so that I could learn to maintain the engine because I thought it might be important. Um, but I never felt safe, really, on the road on a motorbike, and I realised that um, I made my living by painting and I really could didn't couldn't afford to come off a motorbike and get squished. <laughs> um okay. I did also learn to ride a horse uh much later and I stopped that for the same reason as well because I realized I hadn't I'd been riding a horse for quite a long time and hadn't fallen off and I had two kids and a mortgage by this time and couldn't really afford to break my arm or my neck, or a leg. Well, a leg I could manage, but because yeah. I don't, I draw with my hands. But still, I mean, yeah. it would be it would be uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay, that I think a motorbike. Should I go with a motorbike? I think motorbike sounds fun. It's quite cool. I feel like I can see you on a motorbike. Yeah, and, and... with my violin strapped on my back. Motorbike, small one, not a... tidier too. I think a horse is quite challenging, right? Where do you put the horse? <laughs> Right, you have to feed it all the time. It yeah, just sounds difficult. good company though. Valid. Yeah, good company. If I went on a horse, I could pick up a stray dog as well, and possibly a cat, and that would be quite bizarre. So you know, a little troop. True. Um, it's what do you quite. Think? You know, if I think about it, um, a lot of my paintings are like um, troubadours. They're little processions of strange people with violins. And dogs, and quite often they've got a hawk somewhere as well. So it's obviously a kind of a bit of a theme. Why do you think you're drawn to painting these troops? Maybe it's because the this uh, this desire to be a troubadour has uh, lingered in the back of my mind. Um, yeah. Because the other thing I guess I could do, um, which would enable me not to have to play the violin quite so well is to use the musical instrument in between storytelling <gasps> so I could have oh we're back again aren't we to writing I guess but different like, yeah R but writing with a violin storytelling is such a different thing to do 
It's um, holding holding a story in your mind so that you can spin it out and really captivate people and take them out of the now into that world that you're describing is such a skill. Again, I guess it's a it, it's that um, it's that discipline. It's a different discipline to writing because you have to hold it all in your memory make yourself disappear and get the words out there to build mm. worlds in people's minds absolutely and to an and and it's i mean and it's not solitary in the way that writing is you're you're directly engaging with an audience and with listeners and all of that so do you know from from this uh witchery that you do which is this podcast, has anybody actually just gone, do you know what, actually, I'm going to start living that life now. What I fundamentally feel like is like, I'm now going to call it witchery because that's amazing. But what I feel like essentially is that when you visit an unlived life, you're essentially sort of like opening another little, a little portal to, Mm. you know, if you think about sort of, Right. We, we have one finite existence, right? That's This is it. This is us. We're in a or body. Do we? We do. Well, exactly. Or yeah. do we? Yeah. We are. That's how, that's how we feel anyways. But I think at the mm-hmm. same time, we have a desire to live multiple lives, right? All those yeah. little decisions you talked about before, they go in all of these different directions. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you can allow yourself just to kind of voyage into the other space for a little bit, then it is almost a bit like you can like, it's like picking an apple off of a tree. Do you know what I mean? You can just kind of pick something from that unlived life and bring it over. Yeah. Um, And I think that thing that you can pick is sometimes, sometimes it's a feeling. So the feeling of being a troubadour or do you know what I mean? Or the, and sometimes, sometimes that's enough. Um, But maybe, maybe, maybe you'll be the first Jackie. I'm rather liking the idea of having a motorbike, a violin. Um, oh, I've got a singing bowl that is really good. It's a Nepalese heat bowl, and it makes the most beautiful sound. So I'm sticking with the violin in this case. So I've got a violin. I've got a leather jacket now as well. Of course. Um, oh, and I've gone uh, – I'm, I'm in Africa now. I've gone – from Spain to Africa. You've taken the, and did we land on motorbike? Because uh, uh, yeah, we, I'm on, I'm we, on the motorbike in horse. Africa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where so Where in Africa are you starting in Morocco or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Places I've <laughs> always wanted to go and never been, and how that would change how I paint. And I have a friend who went to Morocco climbing, and um, she got rescued by this very handsome. Berber chef and oh. um, they married and she now lives in Mausel with him and um, she got rescued from what she was climbing a mountain she heard oh, oh literally the mountain she, yeah yeah she was she was rescued from a mountain that was shaped like a lion by a handsome Berber guy that's nice called that's an amazing cooks. story beautiful yeah so that's not happening to me I'm not getting rescued by you know. anyone and I'm not marrying anyone either that's for sure did you marry someone in your real life? I did marry someone in my real life. I married the father of my children in my real life. Okay. I wouldn't How make that mistake you? again. <laughs> Jackie, I feel I feel the same way. I won't make yeah. that mistake again either. Yeah, I was old enough to know better. The thing that I have to remember is my children are my children because of the two of us. And they are just astonishing creations. 
and wonderful human beings. And yeah, so although sometimes I think, I don't know what you were doing there. It's, you know, we, we live and learn, we hope. We do. That's interesting because obviously now that you're in Africa on your motorbike, my guess is that you're not going to encounter this person. No, no, because I found him in the kitchen in my house. In, Why um, was he in the kitchen in your house? He'd come to visit some friends um, who I was sharing the house with um, ah. in Bath. And uh, so, no, I wouldn't meet him. And my children wouldn't be. And that is a sadness. I, I think I've been incredibly lucky and have a very lovely relationship with both of them. They're big grown ups now, 28 and 30. Though the age now where I forget that they're my children, these people turn up. It's like, oh, 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 yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> That's so surreal. That must be so bizarre. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay, but we're going, we're going a different way. We're going to see what happens because you are now in Morocco with your motorcycle yeah. and your violin and your... Your busking is now taking the form of do we think that's what's happening? You're sort of doing this sort of musical storytelling. Yeah, and hopefully one of the things I'm doing is picking up languages as I go as well. Because the one of the things that I do regret is um, I I really struggled to learn any language. I mean, I struggle with English sometimes, but um, to have that facility to speak in different languages, but also enter that different mindset that creates those languages and understand people better through language would have been amazing. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to storytell in Morocco because I wouldn't have spoken the language, but I hope that as I travel, you know, I would carry each of those languages with me and some kind of understanding of that would be astonishing. And you're, you're picking up that language just because you have to, right? You have to buy things. You have to interact yeah. with people. Yeah. You Are you speak, making any... F- making friends. Uh, it's hard, isn't it? Because you... Would you pick up with people and then move in different directions? I think I would stay... I'd like to think I would just move through people's lives and then out um, the other side. So really fluid in your mm. existence, not sort of rooting anywhere. And And one of the things that I love is uh, listening. So I would have to learn the languages because listening to people's stories is where it's one of the places that you find inspiration, really. Listening to the lives of other people that are so different from your own and trying to understand how people think. And, you know, it's just... That would be the fascination of travel, not just seeing different places... I'm going to end up like being able to speak about 20 languages. Of course you are. Instead of fumble my way through English. (laughs) I live in Wales and, you know, the Welsh language is amazing. The things that fascinates me is that different way of thinking in different languages. My friend Mererid Hopwood was saying that in Welsh they don't have a word for king really because the ruler of the country is more a servant than a ruler. Um, So um, this conversation came about through talking about kingfishers. So a kingfisher translates to um, Little Blue of the River. It's Glasadorlon in uh, Welsh. 
and that's why, because the um, idea of hierarchy is so different. And that's just one word that throws your thinking into a different place. And the word for Wales in um, Welsh is Cymru, which is the together land. Mm. Which I is, love that. yeah. Isn't that beautiful? All, all people together, the together land, not a united kingdom, <laughs> which is different, a kingdom, which puts the, the king at the top and everybody else down below. What goes along with that is what I always find is that you you get to enter into different aspects of yourself when you're speaking mm. a different language. So you feel, you just feel, I mean, again, it's almost sort of like those other lives, right? You're you, but a sort of parallel you when you're speaking in a different language because you're accessing that different vocabulary and that different history and that different mm. sort of lineage. It is kind of an amazing way to split yourself off into something slightly different for a while. Mm. So you're doing that loads as you travel. Yeah. Because you have to if you go slowly. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll get rid of the motorbike sometimes and walk again, I think, because there's okay. something about the motion of walking and, and taking your time to travel. So you do like three or four miles a day or you can do 20 miles a day. But if you're just whizzing past in a car with your windows wound up and you don't hear it, you don't smell it, you've got that different kind of uh, uh, air conditioning. Okay. It's just occurred to me as well that in those days there was no Wi-Fi, there was no mobile phones, and my parents by now are going completely spare because they get the odd postcard from me. <laughs> how, how old do you think you are now? Are we in your 20s? You, how long have you been walking slash motorbiking? Oh, I think I, I must be 25 by now. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I must be 25. All right, we've covered some ground. Your parents, I was, so they're they're they're... Furious, but maybe by this point they're sort of used to it and they've just decided that this is what you're doing? Or do you think they're at some point they're kind of going, can you come home now? Well, you have to think how you would feel if your child was away for so long. Mm, um, awful. I remember going shopping one day. This is how I remember it anyway. My daughter probably remembers it different. She was 19 years old and I went out shopping. When I came back, she booked herself a six-week trip to uh, Vietnam. Oh, it's like, well, I'm going to Vietnam for six weeks on my own. It's like, okay, you're 19. Yeah, okay, have a nice time, love. Uh, but that's in the age when you, um, you know, she took her mobile and there was Wi-Fi and she could get in touch with me and I know mm. how she was. Don't think this is, I'm not sure that's the first time she went away because she's also, she also went um, to Newfoundland and Went, sailed for six weeks on a um, whale research boat where there was no Wi-Fi, mm. where they were sailing out into a sea of icebergs searching for bottlenose whales. And I can't mm -hmm. remember whether she was 18 or 20 when she did that. It's a very different kind of travel experience um, because you can't get in touch. Mm. So you didn't, you can speak to her for six weeks. Yeah. Oof. I did in the end because at four weeks in, there was a massive storm and they went into port. And so she phoned me and she was in port. And that was not reassuring in a way because they'd been sailing in a massive storm. <laughs> yeah. And Oh, and occasionally there were photographs where she'd gone right up the top of the mast and taken photos looking down. 
Oh, God. Stuff. As a mother. You're like, like, I don't want that. Don't show me that. <laughs> but show how me that amazing. So there's me, like, now, you know, I haven't lived that life of travel, but she is. Mm. Um, with an ease, um, it seems, from the outside. Because I'm going to have to get on a boat at some point because I want to go to Madagascar. I feel like you're getting close to Madagascar. Should we put you on a boat? Yeah. Can I, I, I need to, it's going to have to have sails. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I must have chatted up some rich guy or something. I don't know. Or woman. Hopefully woman. So you chat then. up a nice rich woman in yeah. off the coast, on the coast of Africa. And say, can, you, can I hitch a lift to Madagascar, please? I'll play the violin and cook for you. It smells of vanilla, but that's Lovely. only because that's where vanilla essence comes from. <laughs> why Why did you always want to go to Madagascar? What was it? Lemurs. Yes, Who, lemurs. Lemurs. Who wouldn't want to see lemurs? You know, it's just most, most of this traveling has not been to see humans. It's been to see um, lions, tigers, the plains, the um, zebras, wildebeests, um, all the birds, oh, all mm. the bird life. Um, so it's not been in cities. It's been okay. Oh, rhinoceroses. Let's talk about your safety. How are you? Are you doing like <laughs> <laughs> with the lions and the rhinoceroses? Not, not been eaten. Not been eaten yet. I think most animals do not want to eat you. They want to stay as far away from humans as possible. Um, I haven't been charged by a herd of elephants. Good. Good bonus yeah which is very good and i know that you know accidents do happen people get bitten by snakes but um you know i'm i'm safe it's humans that worry me and always have uh the safety of a single woman traveling on her own it's never stopped me walking when i moved to pembrokeshire i always used to walk alone but later i got a dog and I do remember walking one day and this guy came up behind me, was walking really close behind me and not passing me. And then he said to me, do you ever worry being in such a wild place that there might be some nutter out here? Oh, my God. And I said, <gasps> has it ever crossed your mind that you might be speaking to her? Oh, my God, I love you. And he just went. He went. <laughs> fast um but what a thing to do to somebody what a thing to do to somebody who's walking on their own no i'm you know i'm not worried really i worry walking down a street in in a city Mm. um and you kind of you you're trained as a woman you learn to do things to kind of keep yourself safe and not go places my God, we're still doing that in this day and age. I know. Isn't that so wrong? Um, It's all kinds of wrong. It's really, really, I mean, and this is not a new conversation, but all of the things that women have to do, you know, to, and what I find extraordinary is that when you talk to men about this and you explain to them the little things that we do, you know, so that we we carry our key pointed out when we're walking home or we text a friend to say, like, I'm going to text you when I get in and yeah. You know, you have the police on speed dial because you're walking down a dark street and that they're kind of gobsmacked and sort of can't believe that, you know, but we all do this. Do and the idea yeah. of I don't know how you talk to your daughter about this, because I mean, I'm petrified of having to explain to my daughter yeah. why she has to protect herself. 
we did this slowly. I mean, I'm I, I guess my kids grew up in. Um, it, it's quite a gentle place here, but you know, there's still people like that around. They were walking mm. out on their own for quite an age. But I also have a son, so you have to teach your son as well. You know, boys are not always safe as well, mm. but you also have to teach your son to be respectful of women and uh, step up when necessary. I always think about, um, you know, the Cheryl Strayed memoir, Wild, where she goes hiking on the Pacific Coast Trail. She has a series of life traumas and she goes off on her own and hikes the Pacific Coast Trail. And it's the exact same thing. She encounters a bear. She encounters a wolf. Like she, like hypothermia, all of the horrifying thing. And the scariest, scariest moment is when there's two men in the woods with her. And how to how do you teach your children to have courage to not be afraid, but to be aware that not all people are good people? That's so hard. And something we, we all have to do, I suppose. Okay, well, um, we're gonna. I'm gonna move awkwardly away from that and back to the lemurs in Madagascar. I was gonna say, can we go back to the lemurs? Yeah, the ghost lemurs. Of we've done. Madagascar. We've done some intense chat now, and now we need to get you to some lemurs. Yeah. Why um, Madagascar though? Why lemurs? Uh, I don't know. Why do you think? They're such. They're they're not monkeys. They're 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 beautiful creatures with soulful eyes and hands. They've got fingers and. Uh, long fingers um, the landscape there looks incredible as well um, but would I actually stay there probably not do you know at some yeah at some point I think I would come home okay so you see the lemurs you're gonna see them right see that I want to live with bit. the lemurs <laughs> live with the lemurs for a little while yeah with your blanket of leaves in the forest and yeah. then Okay, and then you want to? You feel like you've. It's time. Time to go back again. Okay. So, do I go all the way around the world to go back, or do I just go back to get an airplane? What do you think? I think I'd probably get a plane. Okay. Having walked all that way. It feels legit at that point. I feel all like... that way. Yeah. But come back to what? Mm. Right. Ask the question about my travels. <laughs> I could illustrate it as well, couldn't I? I think I would probably have had notebooks yeah. um, and sketchbooks and made notes because I would want to remember all the stories that people told me along the way. And mm. I would want to write them down. You're going to take a plane back. You've yeah. made enough money from your from your violent storytelling and your... Well, I don't think I've made any money. I think, you know, I'm still, I've still probably maybe got about 100 quid after just, I paid for my plane ticket. That's, I just want to make sure we've got enough to get you home. Yeah, so I've got, I've got kind of nothing um, other than a head full of stories and the memories and sketchbooks. And so I need to find something to earn a living mm. and a place to live as well, I guess. Yeah. Because I guess I would be not... I mean, unless I'm thinking, oh, I'll just go back to see my parents and then I'll head off again. Because I haven't seen India yet. Oh. Um, or Russia. Oh, my oh. God. And I need to go and see the people, the eagle people. Who and, are the eagle people? The eagle people are somewhere around Mongolia or and, and you can um, ride horses across the plains and live in yurts and, and they take eagle chicks 
and train them to hunt. And then after three or four years, they release them back into the wild again. Um, I don't, I don't, I've got to go there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've got to go there and talk to them. And um, Tibet, I need to get into Tibet. I need to go, I need to stand still on a mountain pass and look for a snow leopard. They're so hard to see because they blend so beautifully with their surroundings. Um, ghost cats. So do you think that you go home as like a pause and you bounce back off? Or do you actually just keep going from Madagascar up to Asia? I think I would go home because I think, you know, I need to see my parents as they were they were getting older and um I wonder if what I would do is come back try and write in the hope that I would make enough money to go traveling again. Okay. Realize that there's no money in books <laughs> and just take my violin and just do it all again. <laughs> or whether you know, would I by this time would I just go no look I want to go to um I'd love to do one of those long train journeys that go for miles and miles. So you're just on the train. So, But mm. I could be writing while I'm doing that. Let's choose one for you. You come back home, you write a bit. It doesn't yeah. fund anything, but you've, yeah, you've but, written. Yeah, and, and maybe that will carry on kind of selling at home while I'm off and I'll get the pittance of royalties that come through from okay. I think people have a strange vision of what it's like to be a writer because they see J.K. Rowling and millions. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of us are like, oh, royalty check. Thank oh. you. I will go get a coffee now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lucky me. All right. Um, going back to when I was a kid at school and I was told that I couldn't be an artist because it's not for people like me. Mm. Um I think if you need to write, if you need to paint, if you need to play music, if you don't do it, you'll make yourself ill because it's such a compulsion, it's such a vocation, it's such an integral part of you. It's as important to you as oxygen to be able to create, to to follow that. And that's in whatever you do. You know, if your passion is cooking, you need to do it, you need to follow that path. You need to pour all your artistry into whatever it is you do. And if you put barriers up in front of you or other, or you accept the barriers that other people put up, then it makes you ill. Um, that, that's kind of how I feel about it anyway. I feel like I want to figure out before we um, have to end our call, I want to figure out where you're going next. I think I will get on a train Yep. In the UK and then get out in uh, Europe and discover that actually train travel is quite a pleasant experience, not Indeed. like it is in Britain. And then I'm going to head towards Russia. Oh, my gosh. Great. Avoiding war zones. Yes. Yeah. Is, tricky yeah. time to be traveling around there. Yeah, but it's not now. It's like I'm, I'm only 30 now. So, but you're, uh, so where are we? Okay, so it's the early 90s. So the wall yeah. has just fallen yeah. when you go through Germany. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. But I'm going to head towards the eagle people, I think. Okay. And um, get back on a horse and 
We got you your horse. I don't really want to go hunting particularly because they do hunt foxes and wolves with their eagles. Okay. But I do love to fly a hawk. Have you done that? Have you flown a hawk? Only a little bit. There's there's something, there's a, a beautiful primeval feeling of having a hawk on your hand, feeling the weight of a bird, watching it fly and calling it back to you. It's a beautiful thing, but I'm not a hunter. Mm. I'm not a killer. I, I have loved watching sparrowhawks chase down songbirds. And, you know, your heart is with both of them, really, because you want the one to get away, but you want the other to have a meal. So it's it's kind of, in a way, it's a lose-lose, win-win situation, that one. <laughs> but um, but I, I think there's something about the textiles as well for nomadic people. It's beautiful. Seeing how other people live. And I don't know. I don't know what I do for money. I mean, maybe my book about walking to Madagascar, which is quite a good title. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> living with the lemurs, that'll be another chapter in it. There we um, go. Yeah. Would would sell enough for me to, you know, buy buy tickets and move. And then hopefully I could kind of work and help and not end up in a war zone. Yeah. Let's keep you out of there. Yeah, because all my life, Somewhere there's been war, and uh, so that's not something that I can understand really. Okay, so but I'd still like to go and see the snow leopards. All right, as well. can we get you to the snow leopard? Where are they? Tibet. Tibet. Yeah, around Tibet. Yeah, okay. in the mountains. You yeah. can drop down to Tibet, right? You leave, leave me there with the singing bowl in a monastery, looking for um, <gasps> looking for snow leopards. It could take a long time to find them. You need to find another train that gets you to Tibet. And then you've got, yeah. I mean, then you've got to walk. Then you've yeah, got to do some yeah. hiking. Then you've got to walk and uh, along river valleys and hopefully not get altitude sickness. And I have a camera as well, I think. Be taking photos. Oh, good. As okay. I go. Right. Yeah. Are you, I know you're talking to people and listening to their stories. Are you meeting anyone who sticks around? No. <laughs> no, sorry, you have to say words, don't you? It's audio. It's no, not it's <laughs> shaking my head vigorously there, listener. She is really not into that idea. No, no, um, I'd like to be on my own. Yeah. What do you think? And oh, we talked about this right at the start. What do you think that is? That desire to just pick up and go with a bag and a stick. I don't know. I had. Um, I found a book. Um, some time ago that was written by a child. She's called Barbara Newhall Follett and she lived in America nearly 100 years ago. And when she was 12, between 8 and 12, she wrote a book for her mother and it's about a little girl who just walks out of the house one day with a lunch pack with some crackers in. And she lives wild. She She lives in a meadow with the deer then she goes to the sea and then she goes to the mountains and eventually she becomes, disintegrates into a cloud of butterflies. Mm. So plot spoiler there. <laughs> so this woman, Barbara Newhall Follett, when she was 25, 
she walked out of her house where she lived and she disappeared. And those two things, <gasps> such a story. Um, anyway, um, I brought the book back into print, illustrated it. Uh, it's published by Hamish Hamilton. It's called A House Without Windows, which okay. is what she called the outside. Um, she she couldn't stand being in a house. She always needed to be outside. But that it's again, it's that fascination of just walking out. You walk out of your life. Nobody knows what happened to her. Seriously, still? Still. No one found her? No. No. There's a, there's a, if you um, look her up, she's a fascinating character. Um, there have been a few podcasts about her. There's a guy who thought he'd found her, but actually it was just another missing woman that he'd found. Uh, it's well, back I'm glad to he found thing. her. That's good. Yeah, but so many, she was dead, long dead. Oh. There's another oh. one where they found a body and trees had grown up through the body. So um, beautiful, I think. Yeah, no, it sounds uh, so like she, up your street. Hopefully she had lain down somewhere to die and trees had grown up through her. But, um, you know, the missing women, there are so many. Yeah. There are so many women who just walk out of their lives and hopefully some of them actually do. But um, it's, yeah, it's a fascination. I don't want to be a missing person. I just want to move. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to be a missing person. <laughs> But that means that you have to have people who would miss you. So I guess, you know, I don't know all these people that I've met along the way. Would I keep in touch with any of them? Mm. Um, I like writing letters. I like writing postcards. Okay. Um, Maybe I would. Maybe there'd be somebody in each country (gasps) that I would write to. A lifetime of letters. That feels like a book at some point that you put them all together. Yeah, it is such a different life. Considering I've been so sedentary here, mm. and I've I have painted a book called The Snow Leopard, um, and I have seen snow leopards, but they were in a back garden in Welland Garden City. What? Um, <laughs> as a do. snow leopard? What? Yeah, there were four snow leopards. It was a a leopard charity trust. Oh, right. Um, and they, this woman had four snow leopards in her back garden in Welling Garden City. And I asked her if I could go and draw them. And she said yes, which was kind. She also had a Persian leopard who absolutely hated me. Every time I went past it, she spat at me. And every time my partner went past, she rolled on her back like a big kitty. And kind of, with, yeah, yeah, she was a right madam, I tell you. <laughs> Do we get you to see one in the wild in Tibet? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, a whole family of them. You see a family of them. Are you are you are you out hiking and looking for them? Or are you sitting on the steps of your monastery and they saunter past? I'm sitting somewhere halfway up a mountain because that's the way to see things. You yeah. have to be still and let things come to you. Um watching the birds and then just catching the movement out of the corner of my eye and yeah seeing it stretch quiet a quiet leopard I don't know about you but that for me feels like quite a nice place to stop what do you think yeah with an eye full of leopards 
Is there anything else you want to do in your unlived life before we stop? I want another one now. I do wonder. I mean, I've, one of the things that stops me just wandering off at the moment is that I have a, I need a knee replacement. <laughs> oh, life. <laughs> yeah, because I've walked and walked and I've got arthritis. I've got postmenopausal arthritis. Damn it. You, just when you think you're out Shoot. of the woods. <laughs> um, so that I'm feels waiting. very unfair. Yeah, I'm waiting for a partial knee replacement. And then I'm hoping that, I, I mean, I'm walking much better than I have been for a long time. Yeah. Um, but the hope is that when I've had the knee replacement as well, that I will be out walking. And maybe that's the time to pick up the violin. <laughs> I hope so. I uh, hope yeah. you get to go out walking at the very yeah. least. Or just walk a little farther or a yes. little in a different direction, maybe. Yeah, just a different different way. And um, there are places that I haven't been to for ages. You know, I live in the most beautiful place. And there are seals breeding on the beaches just over the hill. There's um, St. David's Head is about two miles from here. The bird life that is here is absolutely astonishing. There is talk of a big cat here as well. It has been for always. Um, but I've never seen it yet. Okay. Wouldn't it be astonishing if it was a leopard? It would. It would. It would. It would. <laughs> if, if that happens, you must call me and tell me. So yes, I, I will. Please yes. do. The day that I see that leopard, I actually I won't tell anyone. Because I don't want anyone to get it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll let you know. Okay. You're just a little text. I won't yeah, tell anyone. Yeah, yeah, I'll delete yeah. it. Yeah. Um, is there, maybe it's the leopard, is there anything that you would like to bring from your unlived life into your current life? That can be a feeling or a tangible thing or a violin. I, it would be lovely to know all those people in all those places and have that exchange of letters. Mm. Um which I could do now because I'm in one place, whereas while you're traveling, it's difficult to get letters. That's true, actually. That's so a good point. if I had the stories of all those people and the languages that I'd learned along the way, I think that would be, which is strange. I would never have said that um, without this conversation because mostly my focus is non-human centric. So it's quite... Um, strange i'd love to have the facility to speak different languages but i'm not prepared to give my time to put the work in to mm. learn because i'd always rather be painting you know my language is is liquid and paint and pigment and um, that's the one that i keep learning but it is universal because it speaks to everybody whereas the written word has to be translated well, there you go. So in a way, you are having those conversations with people all over the world, presumably. Mm. I hope so. I hope so, too. I think yeah. so. That was really lovely. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you. I would like to hang out in Jackie's unlived life forever. Or, and perhaps this is the same thing, just hang out in her imagination for a while. I genuinely felt like we'd traveled to all those places and like I was part of her little troubadour gang. My favorite bit, though, came right at the end, right after the sighting of the snow leopard, when she marveled that while she had always paid more attention to wildlife and animals than to humans, what she ended up with was the sense of having connected with so many people on her travels and that this connection was what she'd like to take away. 
And then, of course, we realize that she does connect with people worldwide through her illustrations all the time, and that being an illustrator essentially makes her multilingual. I know Jackie feels like, in another life, she would have loved to travel more and to speak more languages and see more lemurs. But if her unlived life demonstrated anything, it's that whether it's by ferry or plane, motorbike or by horse, or indeed by paintbrush, there's more than one way to travel. If you're a fan of My Unlived Life, I'd be so grateful if you'd help spread the word by rating, reviewing, subscribing, or following wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.